0: Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective.
1: We pray you find this resource edifying, faithful to Scripture, and Christ-exalting. Now, let's get started. Welcome to The Covenant Podcast. Austin McCormick here with my co-host Dewey Dovel, and today we have the special privilege to talk with Pastor Steve Meister. Welcome to the podcast, brother. Hey, thanks so much, Austin. It's glad to be here. I'm glad to be here. And the title of our episode today is Sunday School, Sunday Evening, and Discipleship. These are topics that uh, our brother has written about, and I think that he is passionate about. But uh, brother, you are a first-time interviewee to our show on the Covenant podcast. So before we begin our discussion, uh, can you briefly tell our audience a little bit about yourself, your ministry, and your family, if you'd like to, or whatever else you want to share.
2: Yeah. Thanks so much, Austin. It's an honor to be with you guys. I appreciate the work you guys are doing on this podcast. Uh, again, my name is Steve Meister. I'm a pastor here in California. I've been in pastoral ministry for uh, nearly 15 years now. Um, I've been married for next week. It'll be 20 years for my wife and I, we have uh, four children we're grateful for. And I've been a uh, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist church here in Sacramento, Um, For several years, for nearly eight years now, I'm alongside co-pastor Robert Briggs, my fellow pastor, and he and I are the two vocational pastors on our eldership, and we share the primary preaching and teaching in our congregation, and I also particularly oversee our our pastoral internship and training and theological education at the church.
0: Excellent. Well, we are delighted to have you on the Covenant podcast today, as, as we mentioned just before the interview. Um, you've been a huge blessing to us, and I trust so many others who interact with you through, through Twitter and all of the other resources that you've provided as well in writing. Um, the topic of our discussion today is Sunday School Sunday Evening, and discipleship. So to begin, um, I think a good way of starting off our conversation would be just to ask you what you believe the local church's responsibility should be in discipling followers of Jesus Christ, and how should pastors and congregations be involved with that responsibility?
2: Yeah, this is a wonderful question, and one I think we need to continue to reinvestigate every generation and raise to the fore. I mean, to start in in the most basic sense, uh, we know disciple is, uh, means a learner, uh, it means a student. It's, it's a very ordinary term, actually, in scripture. It's taken on other ramifications for us as Christians, but it's a very ordinary term that means a student of a teacher. Um, and it's at the center of our mission as a church. As we know in the Last Command and the Great Commission in Matthew 28, the church is called to make disciples of all the nations. Um, so being a disciple of Christ is inseparable from uh, being instructed and being taught. Uh, We need to hear, understand, and know the truth of Christ. We need to be taught from his word. And we never stop being disciples of the Lord Jesus and from his word. That's something that's key, as even the Lord goes on to say in the Great Commission, that we're to be teaching them to observe all that he's commanded. And I always think of uh, how Yaroslav Pelikan begins his um, five-volume historical theology, and he makes this great insight as he says that the church is always more than a school, but the church cannot be less than a school. It's faith, hope, and love uh, all express themselves in teaching and confession. And I think just that is a, a great insight that in many ways, our churches are to function as schools, as centers of instruction, for Christians. And it's a discipleship. It's being indoctrinated in the ways of Jesus um, that we see Christians grow according to his word. Um, sometimes I like to illustrate how this works in a local church in terms of the formal office and role of pastors and the what we might call the informal uh, role in life of Christians by reading the book of Hebrews backwards. So, if we start in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 22, uh, the author describes it there. Let's just call him Paul for the sake of argument. Uh, Paul describes uh, his word in Hebrews as a brief word of exhortation. And that's a Greek term parakaleo, um, exhort. It's translated encourage, it's translated urge in the New Testament. It's a very common word. Um, and he's describing the book of Hebrews where uh, he's taken scripture from the Old Testament and expounded and applied it to the Christians. Uh, both encouraging them and warning them above all to hold fast to Christ, not to let go of Christ. And so that's how we should understand the whole book of Hebrews as a word of exhortation, speaking the truth of Christ according to his word. And if we then move from chapter 13 uh, backwards into chapter 10, we see that the gathering of the church is described in the same way. And so in Hebrews 10, 25, we're told not to neglect to meet to one another with one another. And the positive corollary of that is encouraging one another. It's the same word translated exhortation to keep encouraging. So what's the, at the center of the gathering of the church is exhortation from the word of God. That's what we do formally in preaching and teaching. And it's what we do informally is we're speaking to one another and encouraging one another in that particular passage to loving good deeds. And so the church gathering is for exhortation, for encouragement. From the word of god that we would hold fast to christ and believe his word and if we do another jump backwards into chapter three we see that we're called daily as christians to exhort and encourage one another that we are to exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin so we as christians need encouragement from scripture daily we need to be encouraging one another constantly that we would fight the temptations of the world, the flesh and the devil uh, with the word of God and trust in Christ. So if, as we broaden out there and then look at the, the trajectory of encouragement, just even in the book of Hebrews, we see every Christian is called to a ministry of the word of God and speaking God's word to one another. So as a, as a pastor and a preacher, and I'm in that office, I do that formally, right? I do that behind the pulpit. I also do that in a lectern. I do that in catechetical lectures through the Baptist Catechism, for example, in our midweeks and our classes um, and just in preaching the word, word of God on the Lord's Day. But also, and this is, I think, very key, every Christian and every church member is called to the same ministry as they're exhorting one another daily and encouraging one another. And Christians are participating in discipleship even as they are disciples and that they're a part of it as church members and so even as christians informally exhort one another and speak the truth to one another they have a teaching ministry and i think this is an important uh aspect of the christian life and church membership to emphasize especially in churches like mine or churches like ours where we take the pastoral office seriously as we ought to and we take doctrinal instructions seriously that we are not negating the responsibility and even the teaching function of every member of the Church of Christ. I mean, uh, you have passages in Scripture like Romans fifteen verse fourteen, where Paul tells the Romans that that you yourselves are able to instruct one another. Or, of course, we have passages like Colossians three sixteen and Ephesians five nineteen, where even our our singing is to be an overflow of speaking to one another and instructing one another as as Christians. Um, we have passages like. Um, Colossians, or excuse me, Titus 2, where the older women are to teach the younger women. Um, and even Ephesians 4, 15, where Paul describes the, the growing up and the maturing of the body of Christ is speaking uh, the truth in love uh, to one another. Um, or we could go back to the book of Hebrews chapter 5, where uh, Paul is uh, I- I- exhorting them, admonishing them, really, that by this time you ought to have been teachers. Um, so I, I think we, we have abundant evidence in Scripture that the teaching function in the church is not exclusive to pastors. Now we have a very particular role and authority in that, that ought not to be neglected, but every, teach, every Christian is called to be ministering the word of God to one another. And this is part, especially as we think of this as Baptists, this is part of our heritage. So JL Dagg has this um, great remark in his manual of church order, where if I could quote from it, he says this, Um, A knowledge of gospel truth, an aptness to teach, and a heart moved by the desire to glorify God in the salvation of souls. All these qualifications may exist in ordinary Christians, and a proportionate obligation accompanies them to use them in the Redeemer's service. An active, prudent employment of the gifts possessed by ordinary Christians would promote incalculably the interests of religion, and the restriction of all labor for the spread of the gospel and the promotion of piety to a select few is greatly detrimental to the cause of Christ. And I think that's just a great exhortation to repeat to this day, that we are all invested in laboring for the cause of Christ and the spread of the word and ministering the gospel. And I don't see, uh, personally, I know others have pointed this out, I don't see any tension between the public and formal instruction that belongs to uh, my office as a pastor and my role there, with the mutual instruction of Christians, I think they're complementary. In fact, I think it helps us all do our role properly. It helps, for example, uh, me from keep making the pulpit legalistic or overbearing as i don 't have to expound or instruct on every potential application or eventuality for christians that 's part of the church's responsibility that they take the word of God that's ministered hopefully faithfully um, from the pulpit. And as they get to know one another, as they're living together, as they're discipling one another and speaking to one another in love, um, they're able to help counsel and give input and give wisdom to one another according to scripture. So I think we can expect as pastors and encourage pastors um, that their, their church members are to be instructing one another and that we can be encouraging Christians to take up their role in discipleship as members of the church, and I think uh, both our pastoral office and then the the role of members work in that complementary way in discipling each other.
1: Hmm. That's very helpful, brother. Thank you for your comments, especially on exhorting one another, speaking to one another, and um, uh, distinguishing between the pastor's formal teaching ministry and uh, the laity's every Christian's responsibility to uh, teach. In the role that God has given them. But uh, one medium that we want to talk about for teaching is Sunday school. Um, that is part of the title of this episode. So we want to ask you if you can make uh, a case for the usefulness of Sunday school. Should churches have Sunday school? Um, what value does it have for Christian discipleship? You kind of, I think, have answered that in part in the last answer, but we'll give you uh, a greater opportunity to elaborate on that. And I know I'm asking three questions at one time, so you can just take this wherever you want. But how does um, Sunday school differ from Sunday morning gatherings? So there's your threefold cluster of questions. Answer it how you'd like Sure.
2: Yeah, sure. Those are good questions. I think maybe to preface addressing the topic of Sunday school, it's important to... Just to get a clarification out of out of the way uh, that we're not talking about something that's biblically prescribed or mandated, and so I think that we don't want to you know do violence to any christian liberty on that and it's something that's particularly taken development in our nation and other nations, and it hasn't in others I know i've spoken with for example for uh, with a pastor from Australia who lamented that you know Sunday school never really took part, took hold in their culture. And so that's not necessarily a tool in his tool belt, though he he wish it it had been. Um, And it is for us here. And the history of Sunday schools, of course, you can, uh, you know, look that up. But it basically began as uh, parachurch uh, efforts from Christians to educate uh, poor children that didn't have access to to literacy and other education. And eventually in the progress of history, it became incorporated into the ministry of churches themselves, giving instruction. And I think also as a preface to say, one of the things we want to deny or or exclude, and one of the unfortunate consequences over the universal adoption of Sunday school uh, in our culture, is it has, has led in, in many regards to a a supplanting of the pastor's role in catechizing and giving theological instruction to the church in in lieu of just organizing opportunities for lay people to give instruction, uh, which in many ways has led to a, a theological downgrade in some regards, and even sadly, um, a loss of orthodoxy in many contexts uh, through Sunday school. So uh, we want to be aware of one just the the development of this, and also. Uh, two, that I don't think we should view Sunday school in that fashion, even though that may even be predominant, uh, for example, in your average American church to think of it that way. Um, I don't think it needs to be a case that that needs to be the case at all. I think what we call Sunday school or what we call it in our church is discipleship class. Um, I know churches that call it equipping hour. There's other labels that people have, but when we're talking about Sunday school for children and for adults, adult education in it. We're thinking of it as a useful vehicle and a tool for theological and topical instruction outside of corporate worship and public ministry. And I think it can be helpful to especially uh, encourage um, brothers to recover this as a tool for such instruction that broadens beyond what we're doing when we gather in the ordinary means of grace for public worship. And we understand our role there to be ministering Christ and in all his benefits, according to the word to his people. Um, And in a Sunday school format, we have an opportunity to go deeper and to be maybe even more applicational oriented or topically oriented or go deeper theologically on particular topics and issues uh, that will help in our discipleship and help maybe even address particular issues that may be arising in our context or facing our churches. So, and I also, I would, point out Sunday school, uh, not contradicting what I said earlier, but also pointed out is a way for pastors to oversee the training and the development of future gifted brothers, maybe future uh, pastors and elders in a controlled context. Um, We can do that by giving them material. A lot of our our Sunday school or our, our material in our church is, is stuff I have written or developed other elsewhere and can give to brothers or help them in developing material. And then can be alongside them giving feedback as they're teaching and doing it with them. So Sunday school formats can be a great way to um, give brothers opportunities to explore gifts and graces they may have to further minister and to develop in the local church. Um, and so I think it, it has a multiple, uh, avenues of of development and growth for discipleship in
0: the local church for sure. Well Steve, I love how you emphasized Sunday school's ability to provide a supplemental context for laity to be instructed and discipled outside of what can ordinarily be provided in the context of corporate worship. I, I loved your comments on going deeper in scripture, maybe even being a little bit more pointed in how to make applications of scripture. So I want to kind of build off of some of those themes that you indicated uh, in response to the previous question and, and just ask you on a very practical note, what does Sunday school currently look like at the church that you pastor? Have you found that Sunday school allows for your church to work through resources that you may otherwise not have had the time to do so without the Sunday school hour, or maybe how Sunday schools provided a additional context for? making more pointed applications as well. So we'd love to hear your thoughts on, on those questions.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're, we are even, even currently still in process, you know, obviously the last couple of years and COVID and everything attended to it has, was very disruptive to our neat Sunday school program. So we're starting to get that back up to speed now. And in general, uh, we begin on the Lord's Day at, at 9.15 with our discipleship classes, our, our Sunday school, for that's children through adults. Um, and, and speaking of our adult education, uh, we focus our discipleship classes as classes that equip our members to grow as disciples and issues that we think as pastors need to be particularly addressed in the Christian life, um, both generally and then specifically for our congregation. Uh, one of the things we've developed is, is a foundations track. And this is a track of classes that we seek to, that haven't, haven't always accomplished, and again, especially in the last couple of years, but what we ordinarily seek to have run every year. And how I often will describe it as a way is really an extension of our membership class and is especially what we encourage either uh, newer visitors, newer members to have gone through. And we teach it annually because it covers the foundations, the bedrock of our discipleship and our um, growth in Christ. So there's classes like uh, one of them that uh, we title, What's the Point? And that is just a very basic class on what's the point of the Christian life. What does it mean to be a Christian, to be in union with Christ, to have communion with him and then seek to grow uh, in him, putting sin to death and putting on Christ? And, in, um, and ministering as a member of his church is very uh, rudimentary, just giving everyone a basic understanding of what it means to even be a Christian. And then we also have a course called Life Together as a Church where we're just going through our basic corporate responsibilities and going through our formal elements of church life and membership formatively, corrective discipline and corporate worship and how we're to participate in corporate worship and giving uh, our church members a, a an understanding and grasp of what we're doing as a church together. And then I've written a- survey of our confession the second london confession it it takes three months and it's a it's a 12-week survey that we uh uh, move through and get uh, newer members oriented to our confession and its contents get them reading it in a more thorough way and then we've had other classes along this line on bible reading so we try to run our classes in a quarterly way every three months and so we're moving through this content and uh, um, trying to help uh, encourage Christians and and uh, um, especially newer ones in the foundation track. And then we have other classes where we'll try to go deeper in topics that have either a practical or a theological uh, relevance. And so we'll have um, we'll have classes on marriage or parenting that will be get. In, in, into the weeds on those issues more than you ever could in a, in a Sunday morning sermon, for example. Or we'll have classes on particular eras of theology or apologetics or, or just even Bible knowledge. I'm teaching a class right now, for example, um, as a biblical theological survey of the Bible. I'm just moving book by book and looking at how each book of the Bible contributes to the theme of God with us in Scripture and the purpose of, of God to bring us to Himself to enjoy Him forever. And so it's just giving uh, our congregation handles and an understanding in a biblical survey way through each each portion of God's word. And then something else we've developed that it's really become something of a fixture in our church in terms of our our discipleship and teaching is our, we call it our summer focus. So every every year we, uh, during the summer, we just have one universal adult class. And as elders, we decide every year what that focus will be to address something that we think is particularly relevant to our life in the church, or maybe something facing us as a culture. So we've done um, summers focused on missions when we were especially uh, reforming and revising our approach and understanding on missions. Uh, Before we expanded our eldership, for example, this was years ago now, we did a whole summer just on the pastoral office. Who's a pastor? What's a pastor? What does the Bible say? Um, and, And covering that. In, in, a, in a summer. We did one on Baptist distinctives and where we looked on the, the, our distinctives of our ecclesiology and why we hold them. And this summer we're looking forward and um, planning on doing a class on being people of the last days. And, and we've kind of jokingly thought about titling it Politics Panic in the 1689. And we're wanting to cover, especially the last few chapters of our confession and talking about the significance of the spirituality of the church and our mission and our, and our eschatological convictions and how they should give us um, sobriety and calmness and steadiness in the midst of the cultural winds and storms that we're we're facing. So we, we try to think through as pastors as well um, every summer to try to hit something that's perhaps a hot button, just maybe for our life as a church um, or something we're facing culturally. And We really encourage uh, these classes as as much as possible. But again, we don't put the obligation on it because I don't think that it's biblically mandated. So it's not something that, um, you know, someone's going to face, you know, public discipline for, for example, for not for not coming to Sunday school. And I would encourage uh, other pastors that really what we're trying to accomplish in Sunday school and in our ministries in this way is just to capture the conversation. So I don't need 100 percent attendance in our Sunday school. Um, I just need we as we get a significant number of people that are coming to our class, coming to the classes, we're capturing the conversation in the church so that as other discipleship happens and the one and others that we just talked about occur, um, there are good resources that are being recommended. People are growing in these things. And so the word will kind of spread and percolate then through the church as it, it moves out from those classes. So that becomes then a, a means of further discipleship, even with folks that aren't actually either, you know, at the class themselves personally through the church. We also recommend books through our classes that are stocked in our bookstall. And that'll often, it's often that our Sunday school classes will foster small groups, uh, one-on-one discipleship and other means of of growth as people are going through the class and then reading with others. And when we have a class like our foundations class that runs annually and and maybe there's an older member who's, you know, been there done that, they understand it. We encourage them, hey, grab a young Christian and go through the class with them. And that's a great way to foster a discipleship relationship. You don't have to do any prep, you don't have to do anything. You just have to sit through a class with somebody and then maybe you get coffee with them during the week and you talk more about it so um, there's just multiple ways if we're wise stewards to um view the usefulness of sunday school and in, in helping to minister and disciple
1: our churches hmm. that's very helpful yeah i hope that um our listeners will consider all the ways that uh you could use sunday school to disciple um in your church but another uh part of this conversation that we did want to cover was Sunday evening worship services. I think this is another thing that uh, you have been known to write about and that you are passionate about. So uh, similar to the last question, can you make a case for the usefulness of Sunday evening worship?
2: Yes, absolutely. And I'm so glad you guys want to talk about this. I just, more and more, I'm just uh, convinced at the uh, necessity and the wisdom of Sunday evening and the uh, um, detriment of its near universal abandonment, unfortunately, in our churches. And I would just encourage brothers to reconsider and recapture Sunday evening worship is is probably even more vital today, perhaps um, than than it's ever been. I think there's a couple different ways to approach it. I think first we wanna start with the pattern that we see in scripture of morning and evening worship. And by do this, of course, you Know this would be a whole nother podcast episode, so we just need to say I'm assuming the understanding of the perpetuity of the fourth commandment and the Christian Sabbath in our confession in chapter 22. Um, and that's a whole nother topic, but I'm just assuming that. And I think when we think about that and how God has not only um, uh, mandated worship, but He's given us a day of worship, uh, that how we organize and how we keep time is a part of our identity as the people of God. So, especially in, in In prior roles in ministry, I did a lot of international travel, and I had an occasion many times to be overseas at what was a common national holiday uh, for us here as Americans. In fact, one time I was in Asia during the 4th of July, and the disorientation surprised me that, you know, it turns out in Asia, nobody cares about the 4th of July. (laughs) It's just another day for them. And And that is when I felt very American, right? Because it's a special day for me and for our family and community and our nation. Um, And it, it marks me, the fact that the 4th of July means something to us, Independence Day marks me as an American. That's who I am. And in similar ways, how we keep our calendar and our use of time on the Lord's Day marks us as the Lord's people. And I think it's a very significant aspect, not just of discipleship, but also our witness to our culture. There should be some disorientation between how we live and the rest of the world lives, because we are the Lord's people uh, in this world. And so I think we can look at the pattern of scripture with that being said, and we see the pattern of morning and evening worship in places like Psalm 92, which is a song for the Sabbath. And there is written, it is good to give thanks to the Lord to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. And that is following the pattern of um, morning and evening sacrifices we see laid out in Exodus and in in Torah. We see it continued in after the exile in books like Ezra, in Ezra chapter three. And after this synagogue, when the synagogue system developed in the post-exilic Israel, there were two services held on the Sabbath. And it's interesting to think that our Lord Jesus grew up going to Sabbath services morning and evening. And we see the same pattern continued in the book of Acts. We see the Uh, church meeting in the evening. Uh, Christ's disciples were together in the evening twice on the Lord's day when he um, met with them after the resurrection. And in fact, it's that pattern that our early particular Baptist forefathers um, used for the reason of celebrating the Lord's Supper in evening worship. In fact, Hercules Collins criticized the Church of England for having the Lord's Supper at high noon. And he said Christ administered the ordinance in the evening and so should we. Um, and so they were following very strictly there um, what uh, the pattern of worship um, that we see in the gospels. I think you can see the uh, evening worship pattern even exhibited in many of the instances of prayer being spoken of in the epistles. So for example, in, in 2 Timothy uh, 1, when Paul tells Timothy that I remember you constantly, in my prayers night and day. I think that's a reference to the, the cyclical pattern of, of morning and evening. And as as we move after the New Testament into the early church. We do have evidence of the same pattern in letters and other writings of Christians meeting on the Lord's Day very early in the morning, and then again in the evening, and it of course became standard practice in the Middle Ages with vespers and on into the Reformation. It was uh, reaffirmed in many of our confessional and 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 consensus documents and things like the Synod of Dort. Now, I know that what I've just said wouldn't convince everyone, um, but what I would encourage Christians to consider and pastors especially to consider is that there is more scriptural warrant for evening worship than there is for small groups. Um, but contemporary Christianity, uh, has become infatuated with small groups. We have them, I'm not against them. Um, but it's become strangely hostile to evening worship. So I would just encourage guys to get into the scriptures and to notice this pattern and to see it as something that, uh, Christians in prior ages before us saw as as leading us to gathering um, in evening worship. In fact, an interesting anecdote from uh, Cornelius Van Til's biography that he grew up um, going not just to evening worship, but on Sundays when there was a full moon, they would have a third service, be uh, what they have enough light, and they would go back to church. I think that's an interesting interesting anecdote of the commitment of prior generations, even recently. Um, But I think we not only see the pattern in Scripture, we also have to think theologically about the priority of the means of grace. And you can think of messages like the one that David Clarkson who succeeded John Owen gave, why public worship is to be preferred over private. Now we don't have to choose of course between private worship and public worship, but it's interesting that our Puritan forebears uh, would have said if we did have to choose that we would prefer public worship. And that is because of what we confess in our confession in the second London and the Baptist Catechism that Christ ordinarily strengthens us in faith by the ordinary means of grace and that those means of grace come to us uh, in gathered worship. Um, You could think of uh, chapter 14 of our confession where the grace of faith is the work of the spirit of Christ and is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the word and that ministry that takes place when we gather in worship. And so we need and we need to encourage, I think, Christians that we need God's word coming to us objectively outside of us, that alien word, as Luther says, that is spoken to us, that we would be encouraged and that we would grow in Christ and we need all the means of grace. And that's what happens as we gather as a church. And so we prioritize then those gatherings and following the pattern of scripture, we see a second service and an evening gathering on the Lord's day. And one thing that I will do is just to encourage, uh, Christians, even even in my own church, is that if this is true, and if the gathering of Christ saints together and our participating in it is a means of grace to strengthen us in faith and for obedience and for the life he's called us to, uh, why would we want less of it? Um, we don't want less uh, money in our bank. We don't want less food in our bodies. Why would we want less grace for our souls? And so we gather on the Lord's Day evening for that very reason, that grace might increase to us and that God would minister to us to encourage and comfort and convict us uh, from his word.
0: Well, Austin and I are obviously biased here, but I think that was a very compelling biblical and theological case. For- <laughs> I mean, you've got us sold anyways, uh, so we appreciate your insights. That's, there,
2: that's uh, good to hear.
0: It may just be you two, but that's good to know. That's right, brother. That's right. Um as you reflect on how you've been involved with Sunday evening service um, at your local church, or maybe even in previous contexts as well, um, what would you say are some similarities and differences between the Sunday evening worship experience and the Sunday morning worship experience? Sure. Um,
2: I I would say the first thing is they would be very similar. Um, And so in that we're committed to the elements of worship and, and having the word, Uh, read, prayed, preached, and sung as we gather. Uh, One distinctive of our congregation, and and I know this is an area where guys differ and all over the map on, is we do celebrate the Lord's Supper in the evenings, and that's the first uh, Sunday evening of the month, Lord's evening of the month. So we just celebrated last night, actually, and we're recording. So that would be one distinctive. Another one is that our corporate prayers in our evening service uh, tend to be more Uh, how shall I say it, intimately focused on our life and ministry as a church. So we have a prayer for specifically our church and its public ministry um, and our ministry to one another. And then we also add a prayer every Sunday evening for one of our missionary partners. And so that's a way to keep missions at the forefront of the life of our congregation is that we're praying um, every evening uh, for one of our missionary partners and seeking God's grace uh, for them. Uh, Another Another addition to it, and really is is not an insignificant um, part of our life together as a church, is we have a cafe time after our evening service. So our evening service another difference from morning worship tends to be briefer. So uh, in, for example, for, as preachers, our morning, for our morning sermons, we're, we're trying to hit between 40 and 50 minute lengths. And our evening sermons, we're, we're trying to go for more 30 to 40 minutes. Um, and so the service is, is a bit briefer. And then afterwards, we have a cafe time. Uh, where we have coffee, tea and snacks and 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 we have our members stay for hour, hour and a half afterwards. It's a key time of of fellowship. You don't have the rush of the lunch nap crunch for, um, you know, younger families like you do after the morning service. And there's a, especially when we get into this time of the year where the daylight's longer and warmer, um, it's a key time for folks to just hang out and fellowship and especially church members that maybe don't live conveniently to one another um, that can spend more time in in fellowship and encouragement to one another. And I will often tell visitors and new members that if you want to be involved and get to know people in our church, you've got to be at evening service and stay for the cafe. And that's just a key part of, of fellowship and, and really ministry and getting to know one another and all sorts of ministry flourishes from that. But along with just having that opportunity to, to cultivate fellowship, and this is something I, I especially would just want to plead for, for pastors. I think this is overlooked is Sunday evening worship is such a key evangelistic Uh, avenue and outreach. We do so much evangelism on Sunday evenings. And I'm always um, stunned when I hear uh, comments like nobody wants to go to church on Sunday evening. And I I often add, well, I know unbelievers that want to go to church on Sunday evening. And because that often happens. And we have Um, members that will bring their friends or relatives and or people will will come to our services. Maybe they won't get up on Sunday morning and come to worship, but they'll come on Sunday evening and they'll stay during the cafe time and we'll talk and share the gospel with them. Uh, This happens even on traditional uh, Sundays that many think are exclusive of of these kinds of things. Like uh, when Christmas lands on the Lord's day, um, of course the Lord's day existed prior to Christmas. So we would never want to do something foolish, like gather the, cancel the gathering of God's people because it's a holiday. But we also have evening services regardless of the holiday. And last time uh, that Christmas landed on a Sunday, Uh, we had so many unbelievers that had come to our evening worship and we spoke and and talked with them and shared God's word with them and gave them tracts and Bibles and other things. Um, Now, look, we live in a a very a blue state here in California. If someone uh, comes to church, they've come on, re- they come on for a purpose. There's no cultural pressure to be at any church services where, where we live at all. And so it's such a significant opportunity to have our doors open and to be here. And we're, we're, we're in the, an urban center here in Sacramento and to be here and be available uh, to minister God's word. So I would just encourage churches to rethink assumptions and that uh, Sunday evening may actually be a great vehicle of even expanding your evangelistic opportunities and even inviting people. I think it's a way also in Sunday evening to um, continue fellowship, especially for those who are single or in otherwise outside the you know traditional family nuclear family setup you might have. Um, you know, sometimes I hear it said, "Well, we 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 don't want to have." Sunday evening worship, because we need to, you know, fam- families need to be together. Um, but what about our single brothers and sisters? Um, what about others that maybe are in um, uh, unequally yoked marriages or, or have an unbelieving spouse or all sorts of different scenarios? What about fellowship with them, remembering that the church is a family? We are God's family. And so we need to be together and, and minister to one another. And I think evening worship provides just that other opportunity to foster fellowship and to see further hospitality and service uh, go to one another um, and minister to each other, incorporate each other in one another's lives, um, and along with deepening the, the ministry of the word, of course, and all these other opportunities we have. I just am often, I shouldn't be surprised, but I'm often surprised at how much the Lord does in our evening services, how much body life, for lack of a better word, takes place and encouragement, how much outreach um, goes on through our evening gathering. I I mean, I wouldn't stop our evening worship for anything. And I would just encourage uh, pastors and churches to reconsider how some of the very things that they're concerned about, outreach, discipleship, fellowship, all those things that we're all concerned about for our churches, how much evening worship Um, is another means by which furthering those very ends in our churches.
1: Hmm. Well, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to uh, wrap up our conversation by giving us some final thoughts, encouragements pertaining to Sunday school, Sunday evening worship, and discipleship. But uh, as you were speaking, I thought of another question I wanted to ask pertaining to discipleship. Um, I think Dewey and I follow you on social media, and so I at least will often see your tweets uh, with breakfast with Berkhoff. Uh Do you want to speak <laughs> yes. to that for a little bit of a moment, what that consists of and how you use that as an opportunity of discipleship and uh, at least tell our audience about what people would see on your Twitter whenever <laughs> you post about breakfast with Burkhoff.
2: Yeah, sure. Well, um, we, we want to be careful about you know, encouraging and what he does. To follow me on Twitter. Um, Twitter can be a, a very dangerous place, requires great discernment to navigate. Um, uh, thanks for that, Austin. I, we started, I started, um, I don't know, I guess it's been over a year ago now, Theology for Breakfast. And I, I had something along those lines kicking around in my head, toying with it. But a friend of mine, Patrick Abendroth, who pastors at Omaha Bible Church, um, and you might know him from the Pactum podcast, Um, has something at their church. They do it a little differently than than we ended up doing it. But that idea was sort of the genesis of getting us rolling. And I wanted an opportunity both uh, to, for myself, to spend just some further time in theological study that's uh, comprehensive and outside the ordinary (gasps) ministry that I'm doing. um, And also, I wanted to uh, have an opportunity to um, encourage our church members to go deeper. And so we started Theology for Breakfast. We're just It's really pretty simple. We meet one Saturday a month, we're reading through Louis Burkhoff's systematic theology, and um, we're um, walking through those things together, um, chapter by chapter and dialoguing about um, what, it, uh, uh, what it entails. It's been a wonderful time of uh, just dialogue and instruction. I think it, it puts to the lie that Christians are unconcerned about detailed doctrine. And we have a whole spectrum of church members that will come to the class um, from high school students to retirees and everyone in between. And we chew on um, theological constructions and try to tie them to our confession and think through about how our confession articulates the things we're talking about and even areas where we might differ. And it's been a wonderfully sharpening time. Um, with members of the church, and however pastors would do this kind of thing, I would just encourage them to pick some kind of uh, theological text and invite their church members and see who shows up and uh, continue that conversation and I've just found christians are are hungry to understand god 's word, and it's just been wonderful to see. Um, the ways it 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 spreads into our congregation and those who come that have a lot of evangelistic opportunities and the ways that a deeper understanding of doctrine helps them testify of Christ in their relationship. So it's just a, a great venue to just think creatively about teaching our church members.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, if you're going to do breakfast with Berkhoff, you just got to make sure that you get the beautiful banner of truth cover for that, Yeah, for the good pictures, we like the we we like to call them shelfies. Uh, (laughs) We got the beautiful books on our shelves behind us right now in our recording. All of us do, but uh, our audience cannot see that. This is audio only. But I'm getting a little off track, so I'll get back to my script here, Uh, brother. We've been talking about Sunday school. We've been talking about Sunday evening. We even talked for a brief moment there about uh, a breakfast of. Uh, that you have at your church where it gives you another opportunity to disciple and think about theological uh, doctrines that you can apply to the ministry of your church. And we've been talking, of course, about discipleship. Do you have any final thoughts or encouragements pertaining to any of these subjects that we've been talking about?
2: Well, again, thank you so much, brothers, for for having me on. I think I would just say in, in conclusion and and understanding, all of us as we serve in various ways as uh, ministers and seeking to strengthen the church, we, we all recognize um, that we that we are in difficult days culturally and socially as our church. The pressures seem to be increasing than we're what we're more recently familiar with. Um, and we're all typically disheartened by the gen- speaking in broad terms, generally the biblical ignorance that is exhibited by professing Christians around us, as well as just frankly, the disobedience and disorder that we see in so many professing Christian lives. And so I would just say in view of that now is not the time for us to have less biblical instruction now's not the time to reduce sermon lengths, to get rid of evening worship, to reduce Christian instruction and discipleship. I I would say, I would actually argue it's quite the opposite. Now is the time that we need to ramp it up. We need to be serious. We need to be invested in the ministry of the word and every potential avenue the Lord gives us in our churches. And I I think when it relates to the the time issue, the, the busyness question, I just want to always remind uh, members of my church, other Christians, we have more time now than most prior generations. And we often forget that most generations, we go back in history, they had to spend way more time than we do just staying alive, preparing food and, and dealing with um, the uh, circumstances of life that were so much more adverse in many ways that our technological advancements have freed us from or what we typically call our conveniences. And the intention of modern convenience is to give us more time and we have that time. And so what we typically face uh, for all of us as Christians in our modern era is not a time issue. It's typically a priority issue. It's a spiritual issue. And part of our discipleship and our growth as Christians is rightly ordering our priorities around um, God's church and around his word. And so I would just encourage us to, to take hold of the pressures we sense as a great reminder from God providentially to hold tight to his word, to minister it and to teach
0: it in every Avenue that, that he would open up for us in our churches. Well, it's been a wonderful and thought provoking discussion today with Steve Meister on the subject of Sunday school, Sunday evening and discipleship. And we hope that all of our listeners have been greatly encouraged by this conversation as Austin and I were today. And until next time, We do want to wish you grace and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. May God richly bless you. For additional content, check out our blog ministry at covenantconfessions.com. Also, keep up with our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Next, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Lastly, thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you.